This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Blessed are the peacemakers. What are we going to look at this afternoon? Well, it's, uh, it's been pointed out to me a few times. It's uh, quite a quite a well-known uh, Bible phrase, which I assume why it's uh, been picked as a, as a lecture title, really. Um, but first of all, we're going to start off. Let's get a, bit, a few definitions down. What is peace? What, what can we say peace is in this modern world now? Um, then we're going to have a, a quick sort of show-and-tell round. Spot the peacemaker. Um, we'll have a look at some of the peacemakers that we would uh, consider in some of the leaders that we have nowadays. Then I'll just share with you something that I got from my uh, CYC, my youth group group. I asked them, uh, I asked them a question: What inspires peace? And I'll just share a few answers with them, with uh, with you of what they came up with. I thought were quite interesting. But it is a Bible Bible lecture, so yes, we will then turn to the Bible. What does the Bible say about peacemakers? What does it say about peace? If we are if we are to try and achieve that, and really, how can we implement this in our lives? That's uh, that's why we're here, isn't it? To learn about what we can do to be better peacemakers. But then, really, why should we? There's got to be a reason behind it. And yes, the Bible does supply that, I believe. So first off, what is peace? What is peace? Well, you've got some uh, a bit dark there, but four four symbols there, commonly associated with peace, and uh, our word peace nowadays comes from the Latin Pax I believe, I'm not a, a Latin uh, liter- literature person but it does come from the Latin word Pax and if you were to look in a dictionary it's a, a freedom from disturbance or tranquility or it's a, a state of tranquility or a state or period in which there is no war or a war has ended. Now I'd like you just to try and bear those in mind because if you were to make peace, it would have to include all of those items there. You would have to be free from disturbance. There would be a state of tranquility. You would have to achieve a period of time when there was no war or a war has ended. And there's a, there's a balance there to it as well, which I want to pull out, which is uh, probably picked up in uh, the, the yin and the yang symbol there at the bottom. But... It's interesting, this is a definition that the world gives us. And if we apply it thoroughly, it's quite hard to find modern peacemakers, as, uh, as we will find. So uh, first up in the Spot the Peacemaker, there is quite a, a famous photograph, or another handshake in front of the White House there. We've got Yitzhak uh, Rabin, Prime Minister of Israel there, got Bill Clinton presiding over the affairs and uh, Yasser Arafat and that photo was taken in 1993 of a a peace deal that was done between Palestine and Israel. That handshake has been performed by various leaders of both parties around 20 times. I would suggest it has not been as successful as achieving peace that these gentlemen here are not what we would call peacemakers 
There we go, there's a slightly more modern version. Bill's replacement, Donald. And Kim Jong-un, the latest uh, dictator in North Korea. And that was taken earlier this year. And the newspapers were calling it an historic moment in the, in the denuclearization of the northern peninsula of Korea. However, if those gentlemen there were to be called peacemakers, surely that would have to embody the rest of their lives as well. And we can only dream in horror, really, of the things that are actually going on inside North Korea, even if they are starting to get rid of the nuclear program. And there we go, another one, very recent this time, of Bashar al-Assad and Vladimir Putin. Another handshake which has been spread across our newspapers recently. Assad obviously being of Syria and Putin of Russia. And this stems back to 2010, which was the start of the Arab Spring. It doesn't feel that long ago, but it was, eight years ago. And that relationship there, which has developed over the few years, two countries are at peace, to, uh, sorry, Syria and Russia, but are they at peace with others around them? I would, I would say no. And there we go, another famous handshake. Tony Blair and George W. Bush. Another camera opportunity, which was presented there in the White House. And that special relationship that they had, that special relationship that they had, which allowed them to go into Iraq. And we know of the disasters and the death and the atrocities that were committed over there. We're then moving to Africa. This is something that goes all over the world. On the left there, you've got Jacob Zuma, who is the president or prime minister of the Republic of South Africa. And then on the right, you've got Robert Mugabe. And that was taken in 2013, before Mugabe was re-elected. And Mr Zuma there played a very pivotal part in persuading the other African nations that he was the right person for the job. And we know of the oppressive regime that is or was prevalent in Zimbabwe. Then we come back across to America. person before Mr. Trump, Barack Obama, and President Xi Jinping of China. And the peace that these two countries signed up to is between them again, but not with other nations around the world. It's a very conditional peace. And, uh, sorry, wrong way. So not to be sexist, there's a woman in there as well. Aung San Suu Kyi, I think is how you pronounce it. Prime Minister of, or President of, what is now Myanmar. She's probably got the best claim to peace out of all of them. She was a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Quite a established uh, sort of title. However, in recent times, people have been calling her for to lose that title due to the violence against Rohingya Muslims and other refugees in Myanmar. And I'm sure if we speak to our brethren and sisters in the ACBM and the, the dealings that they've had with people coming across the border in Thailand, I'm sure they'll be able to echo some of those sentiments. And that's interesting because these are the people that the world looked to, the leaders of the free countries, you could say that are there to provide safety and peace for their inhabitants. However, it seems a very fragile state that they agree these terms on. 
So, what would inspire peace into a country? Or what would inspire peace into my CYC group? Which can be quite an interesting thing on a Friday afternoon or Friday evening when they've had a stressful week at school. So the first one that they came up with was forgiveness. If somebody was to show forgiveness to them, that would encourage them to be more peaceful or to try and be less aggravating towards them. Same, same came from another one. They said, if somebody showed me mercy, then I, that would inspire peace. And then there was a desire for happiness. If somebody had a desire for happiness, they would recognise that with making peace with others around them. They didn't want to agitate others around them. Or if you were conscious, conscious of how your outward demeanour was perceived, if you didn't want to put off a wrong impression of yourself, you would look to be more peaceful. And just turning quickly to our first reference, James 3, verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And that's something that they came up with, actually, which I was quite impressed with. One of the, one of the lads in my group came up with that reference. And the idea of, if you show it to someone, it then is shown forward. The idea of fruit bringing and bearing forth. And that would inspire peace into others around you, making you, therefore, a peacemaker. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this? Well, our first reading was from Matthew chapter 5. And that was from a section of the book we call the Beatitudes. And we were focusing specifically, excuse me, on Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, where we're told we will be called children of God if we are a peacemaker. And that's really the first point the bible is an attitude an attitude that we have and it's some it's a, a way that we approach life and we know that our actions our motives come from our heart is what we're told quite a lot isn't it and that's something that solomon pulled out quite nicely in proverbs and chapter 4 if you could turn there please proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 But I'm going to read this actually in a slightly more modern version. I'll read it from the, the ISV. It reads in Proverbs 4 and verse 23. Above everything else, guard your heart, because from it flows the springs of life. And that idea that we have to be careful about what we expose our heart to. That if we want our heart to flow or to have peace flowing from our heart, we should be conscious of what we expose it to. Do we expose it to evil and evil desires and thoughts? But also the Bible says it's 
an active and not a passive thing to be a peacemaker. Now it's a bit of a, a funny one to think about that really. If you're in, normally you think peace is, a, peace is a passive thing. But a peacemaker, you're actively not acting in combat. I would suggest is a, one way I tried to explain it really to some others. And we get that in James 2 and verse 20. And when James is... Uh, a nice practical book of the Bible. I like James. And it's quite a well-known verse. It's to, re, regarding works and faith. Where it says in verse 20, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And it's true. We need to show what we believe. If we believe in peace, we need to show it. It is not something that we stand around and just let happen. We have to actively show our peace. Especially if we're going to be called children of God. But one passage which really does stand out, or did stand out when I was looking through this, was the preachings of Jesus. Now if you've still got your fingers in Matthew um, chapter 5, sorry I should have uh, probably uh, told you to stay there. We are... Uh, we come across probably one of the most applicable ideas that Jesus comes speaks about in terms of peacemakers. And that is turning the other cheek. And that's Matthew 5 and verse 39. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. The idea of actually if somebody does us a wrong... The first thing that we do is not to retaliate, not to fire back the missile that they've just fired at us, but to take a breath and respond peacefully, not in an aggravating way. And that goes back to the fact it's an attitude. It's an attitude that we have to take with us through our whole lives. It's not something that just uh, is one off every now and again is not just a, a handshake a photo opportunity in front of the world media it's how we approach the situations that we have in life and for this I just want to look at three, three examples really and we'll stay in Matthew to start off with and I want to look at the Garden of Gethsemane if we turn to Matthew 26 Matthew 26 and uh, here we've got the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and we'll start reading at verse 47 and we'll read through to verse 54 and while he yet spake lo Judas one of the twelve came and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. 
Then said Jesus unto them, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I came not now thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? And here we have an amazing show of self-restraint. And Jesus demonstrates that. He is provoked, you could say. They came, in verse 47, with swords and staves and a great multitude. And if we continue reading, it's the sort of, a com- sort of company that would be deployed to arrest a criminal or a thief. Somebody who they expected to fight. And they take him. However, the disciples hadn't always been listening as closely as to uh, Jesus as they should have been here. And we can see in verse 51 that somebody struck one of the high priest's ears or servant's ears off. Now, the best way for Jesus to demonstrate his teaching is for him to live it and show it in his life. And it's something that Jesus does throughout his ministry. And we have that here, don't we, in verse 52, where he deliberately commands him to put up thy sword into thy place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword and that in itself is an interesting phrase when we think back to some of the leaders we saw there even though they made peace with others they still wielded the sword that wasn't shaking their friend's hand and bear that in mind but also we're shown here that Jesus had the ability to call down 12 legions of angels if he needed to and he showed that self-restraint that attitude how he approached that situation he knew he would not but he still knew he could if he needed to and that is a very important attitude that we take if we are to be a true peacemaker but what's the next one well if we stay in Matthew and just turn over in the next page into Matthew 27 verses 27 to 31 we read there then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe and when they had plaited a crown of thorns they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying hail king of the Jews and they spit on him spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head and after they had mocked him they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him and it's a progression in the story now Jesus was treated with less and less respect in the garden of Gethsemane he was taken merely just with hands and then here we can start to see the abuse that he received and he still had that power that he mentioned in the garden of Gethsemane but still he withheld that power he was a peacemaker he could have quite easily destroyed them if he had wanted to but another example of somebody who was a peacemaker and this this occurrence was between David and Saul King David or he wasn't king at the time but King Saul and David who would later become king and this is in 1 Samuel chapter 18 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 11 it's just a single verse 
We'll read verse 10 as well, just for, just for connection. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand, as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Now, this is a very direct statement of conflict. Somebody's trying to throw a javelin at somebody, at David. Saul is trying to throw a javelin at David. And the, the natural response there would be a response of anger, wouldn't it? To try and defend yourself. It's not the first time this has happened. You can read it twice there. We read through David's life how he avoids conflict with Saul. And it's something we should bear in mind. It's how we approach a situation. What our natural response is. We looked at the Proverbs, proverb there about your heart. And if our heart is right, then we will automatically refer to the way that it is pointing us. Which is so key when the Bible talks about a peacemaker. But how can we implement this? We've looked at some, some verses there. Some examples in the Old and the New Testament. And, and really, why do these individuals act that way? And that's act this way. And it's because what they were taught. And it's because what they, they based their lives on. We read this morning, didn't we, of the, the challenges that Jesus faced in the, in, the New, in the New Testament, in the wilderness. And how he used the word of God to respond to those. And it's something that I've been doing here. It's what we base our beliefs on, isn't it? It's what we refer to at every point. But one practical point. Proverbs 16 and verse 32. Being slow to anger. And it's interesting because these points can apply to everything in life, all aspects of life. It's not just one or two dealings, and it's something that should apply to every aspect. So in Proverbs 16 and verse 32, we read, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. And you can see there, if somebody is, in, is fast to anger, situations very quickly become out of hand. That rationale that we normally and logically apply to things is gone. And it's a very simple step that the Bible gives us to take a breath and think about things and to be slow to anger. I'll put these two up together. To turn, to depart from evil and to turn from evil. Now from this one, we will uh, we'll look at the Peter reference. 1 Peter 3. And verse 11. So 1 Peter 3 and verse 11. Read there. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And the idea being there is that we have that choice don't we we can either go the evil way or the good way we can turn one or the other however 
We have to remember our life is like a bit of a vacuum. As soon as we take something out, something else gets sucked back in. And we have to make sure that what we put back in is better than the stuff that we took out. Going back to the heart reference again, if we protect our heart from the evil of the world and keep the bad out and make sure we keep the good in, it will be the right thing to do. It will be how God wants us to act. And you can see there at the end, let him seek peace. We have to actively seek it, don't we? And then one passage that always crops up, I would suggest, in most evening lectures. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Something that is really the solution to a lot of our problems in life. Something that we can apply to be to everything in our lives. Something that we should apply to everything in our lives. Philippians 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And that is something that's very true. If we are prayerful about things, then it will give us that time to think, won't it? It doesn't always have to be a long prayer. It can be a short prayer. But it will be help us maybe be slow to anger. So maybe give us that extra chance to depart from evil, to turn from evil, and hopefully seek that peace that we read about there in Peter. But why should we? Why really? Why should we? Uh, why should we do all this? Well, it's interesting actually. I didn't uh, didn't really associate this one with uh, with peace necessarily. But in Proverbs 12, Solomon tells us something quite interesting. Proverbs 12 and verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the, pe- to the counsellors of peace is joy. It's a good thing. It makes us happy, doesn't it? If we're constantly at peace with people, we're not worrying. There's that removal of stress, of anxiety, and the benefits of that. But most importantly, I shouldn't have got you to flip from Philippians 4 to Proverbs and then back to Philippians, but if we were to go back to Philippians, God shall be with you. If God is for us, who can be against us there? God, it's the idea that that this is what God wants, and that's not something that we want to go against. But also, it will help improve our relationships with those around us. Colossians 3 and verse 15 Colossians 3 and verse 15 and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful and we read there called in one body the body of Christ in our ecclesias and how that improves our relationship with others around us if we have that peace if we are not looking for strife or arguments with others around us and not only that with our relationships with our friends with our physical families how they can be improved 
but also it is something that Christ demonstrated as we read before but again if we were to read Isaiah 9 and verse 6 we see how we'd have to be like Jesus to be Christ like the prince of peace as it's quoted there but most importantly why should we it gives us a hope of salvation Hebrews 12 and verse 14 if you could just turn there please we read there follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord without the peace that we need without being peacemakers without pursuing that peace we won't be able to see God there won't be that chance that hope of salvation now at the moment I've just mentioned peace but at the start I got our brother there to read the full of the full list of Beatitudes in Matthew and chapter 5 and that's the whole picture because peace is just one part of it to have that hope of salvation there's a full list of Beatitudes at the start there in Matthew but again that is only part of it because if we look through the Bible we've got lots of other lists and one that I particularly like is uh, the fruits of the spirit and we'll read them actually if we turn to Galatians in chapter 5 please Galatians chapter 5 and we'll start reading at verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace long suffering, gentleness goodness, faith, meekness temperance against such there is no law and that's another list we see peace come up here and if we were to look back to Matthew 5 we could draw the comparisons there between the two passages and the idea that the similarities there are repeated but again that's still only part of the picture we need the full Bible to have that hope of salvation if we are peacemakers yes that is well and good that is a good thing however there's extra parts that God requires for us to have a proper hope of salvation but what is that salvation again I've only briefly touched on it that we need the whole bible but just a glimpse of what is to come we look at two references there first Isaiah chapter 2 please Isaiah 2 and verse 4 and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more 
And that would be the first steps to peace in the modern world nowadays, wouldn't it? If nations were to destroy the means in which they cause harm and war with other nations. And if there was a fair judge to judge among people. However, as a true vision or true image of what the kingdom will be like. Of that salvation that we can be part of if we abide by all the teachings of the Bible. Revelation and chapter 21. And then the first four verses. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I saw John the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things have passed away and that is where I'd like to finish the true vision of what being not only a peacemaker but also having all the attributes which the gospel and the rest of the Bible prescribe to us that we should try and achieve in our lives day to day, not only in one or two aspects, but all our lives. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org. Dot uk. Mm-hmm.